Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolf. Our schools require significant human and fiscal resources, and the way our schools are funded is an important key to supporting our schools and ensuring that we are able to provide a high quality and equitable education for all students. Here to talk about it are Jim Deal, Chair of the Finance Committee on the Leandro Commission, Dr. Patrick Miller, the Superintendent of Green County Schools and the Chair of the Principal Committee of the Leandro Commission, and Senator Michael Lee. I'd like to welcome to the show Jim Deal, the Chair of the Finance Committee of the Leandro Commission, and Dr. Patrick Miller, Superintendent of Green County Schools and Chair of the Principal Committee of the Leandro Commission. Thank you both so much for being here today. Patrick, I wonder if we can start out by talking about what is on all of our minds, which is the impact of COVID and in particular, the financial impacts of COVID. Certainly COVID um, surprised us all uh, last March, uh, almost a year ago now when we shut down. And certainly uh, we had finance on our minds as we we're moving forward. And what we learned is uh, in some funding areas we were impacted greatly and in others we realized some savings perhaps in some ways that we we weren't expecting uh, but as we've traveled through this year uh, those things uh, have become uh, even more important i'll give you an example of one thing with with only being able to have one child per seat on a school bus uh, we've had a diff more difficult time than normal keeping our bus drivers because the routes are so much shorter they're hourly employees, so their time, even though they're working every day, they're not making the same amount of money that they're used to making. And I was just meeting with the transportation director earlier this morning, and, and they, they have a significant amount of money left over uh, that is a, actually a good thing because we need some equipment and some other things that we'll be able to, to afford this year. But for the employees, it's been a challenge. The uh, obvious place where we've had to spend more money than we anticipated was the cost of PPE, masks, hand sanitizers, thermometers, uh, all the barriers that we have to put in place, the plastic barriers um, between folks. But luckily, uh, between uh, the money that we received from the state and the federal government, so far we've been able to, to navigate those challenges. Both of you served on the Leandro Commission, so thank you for your service there. Um, Jim, I wonder with your role with the Finance Committee, if you would be willing to share why this work is so important for our schools, our students, and North Carolina. As you know, the Leandro case says that every student in North Carolina is entitled to a sound basic education. And that doesn't matter whether you happen to be in one of our wealthier counties or one of our poorer counties, you're entitled to a sound basic education. And what we have found, and, and this has been true for the over 25 years that Leandro has been going on, is that the opportunity for sound basic education varies greatly based on whether you're in a high poverty county, whether you're in a wealthy county where you've got a strong tax base. And th those things have uh, led us to acknowledge and to remember that you know, we've got to do more for those students in less fortunate situations to enable them to have a sound basic education. And when we do that, our state benefits because we create more productive citizens who are going to be taxpaying citizens who are going to be better people and have a higher quality of life. So that uh, the, the, the benefits of a sound basic education don't stop 
when you finish high school, they create a more productive citizen. So we've got to uh, figure out the ways to meet that constitutional mandate. And I'd love to hear from both of you just a little more about some of the funding areas that you think need are in the most need of investments. You know, first and foremost is our personnel. Our teachers, our administrators and principals, our uh, support staff, we have got to have, uh, as the court rulings have said, you've got to have a well-qualified teacher in every classroom. And you've got to have someone who's prepared and someone who is ready to uh, deliver the educational content to the students. Uh, as is true in any organization, you need really strong leadership. So you have to have good superintendents, you have to have good principals, assistant principals, and you've got to also have the student support personnel, the nurses, the counselors, the school psychologists, those, those people, those are the team. They're the ones that are educating the students. And that, from my, from my looking at it, and I believe probably from most people, that's where we start first. We've got to have qualified personnel. We've got to develop and, and produce more teachers. We are not producing enough teachers now to meet what we need as a state. We've got to support them once they start. Uh, all the data shows that if you've got strong mentoring and strong programs to support the teachers in their first three years, they're likely to stay. If you don't, they're likely to leave and they're likely to go into other professions. We have to develop the pipeline for principals, for assistant principals, for uh, superintendents so that as, as older members are retiring, we're developing the younger people to come in and take their position. And once again, we're providing the support for them so that they can be successful. And we are woefully lacking in our student support personnel. We don't have the number of nurses we need. We don't have the number of school psychologists, counselors that we need. And we need over a series of years to, to bring us up to the national average of what we should have because so much of what's going on in our schools, those people would be the first people to, to identify that and to help stop some of the serious situations that come along. Patrick, from your role as a superintendent, would you like to add or emphasize any to any of those? I will. I certainly agree with everything that Jen said, but I would add that uh, we have some serious infrastructure needs in this state. We, we need... Uh, a bond or some other method of funding to help support capital improvements in districts. Uh, the General Assembly uh, commissioned a study several years ago of 10 poor rural districts uh, and their capital needs and Green was one of the counties that was uh, studied. Uh, that uh, study determined that Green County by itself had over $30 million uh, in capital infrastructure needs. Uh, and our capital budget is only $700,000 a year. And that's generated from, from local sales tax. So uh, we're not going to be able to solve those problems. I would strongly support what Patrick just said. And this is where the disparity in our county wealth uh, is so evident. Uh, traditionally, the state is supposed to fund the operational uh, perspective of schools in terms of the staffing and the counties traditionally have provided the facilities. Well, part of what has happened is that the counties are having to pick up some of the personnel costs that the state is no longer paying for, which takes away from their ability to provide capital. But in, in the situations where you have such a disparity, for instance, the per school, uh, per student 
contribution from counties varies widely. You, you will see a situation where a student may be, there may be $500 of local support for a student in a county versus $5,000 of local support. And I think the highest uh, 10 counties, I think the average for the highest 10 counties on the most recent data we have is over $3,300 per student. And the average for the lowest 10 counties, which includes green, is $780 per student. So how, how is a county like Green able to build a new building, to have modern facilities, to provide technology needs when they have only one fourth of the dollars that a wealthy county does? And this, this is a situation where Patrick is exactly right. We have got to figure out a way through a state bond or through some other means for these counties to be able to have adequate facilities. You're talking about their learning environment. For lack of a better word, it's their home away from home. So are we gonna have a home with a decent roof and decent plumbing and decent heating, or are we not? Are we gonna have a home, and, and this year we've seen it more than probably any time, where we've got technology needs. How do, you, how do you do online teaching when you don't have students with access to technology? You, you simply can't do it. So it's, uh, it's, you know, it is a parallel track. We have got to provide the personnel we need, and we have got to provide an adequate and safe learning environment for those students. In our last minute, I wonder if you can just share a couple of thoughts on what budget flexibility would mean for local school districts and the importance of that, as well as what you're hoping to see this legislative session. Consider you're running your own household's finances, and uh, you have one pot of money here that has restrictions on it and it has a million dollars in it and you've got this pocket of money that has $1,000 in it. You can only pay your mortgage from this pot of money that has the thousand in it and you need $1,200. So, but you can't take the money out to pay your mortgage or this other, but you've got all this money left in this other pot. That would be very frustrating and nobody would, would believe that to be the case uh, in your own personal world, but school finance has gotten is extremely complicated and there are so many funding pots uh, and each has this tremendous amount of restrictions on it. So that very scenario that I described uh, could happen in a school where we've run out of money in one pot and have plenty of money in another pot, but can't afford to do what we need to do. So budget flexibility allows us to transfer money from one pot to another, if you will, uh, to help uh, take care of our needs. And I think it's important to realize that districts are not the same. Green and Watauga, where Jim is, are two completely different districts, and they probably have very different needs. And Jim, any final uh, thoughts on what you're hoping to see happen this legislative session? When you talk about a priority list, really we've got about 10 number ones. And Leandro case, you know, they've got seven specific things they have talked about in the court rulings. So all of those things are equally important, but uh, I am hoping that, that the legislature and General Assembly will definitely look at, at greater support for pre-K as well as support for teachers, increasing the teacher fellows program, increasing the principal fellows program. So that, and, and looking at, you know, when you talk about salaries, Let's look at salaries that are comparable to other professions. If we're, if we're trying to recruit the best and the brightest, which is what we want in our classroom, 
then we've got to compete with other professions that are trying to get those same people. If they will start the plan uh, that's called for by the court, we will make a tremendous difference in the opportunity for every student in North Carolina. Thank you both for all you do for students and uh, all these you know, helpful comments today to help us really understand what is needed. Um, after the break, we will be joined by Senator Michael Lee. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. I'd like to welcome to the show, Senator Michael Lee, Chair of the Senate Education and Higher Education Committee and the Education Appropriations Committee. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, I, I appreciate being here. Well, I know you've taken on very critical roles in our legislature this year and a year, as we say, like no other. Um, I wonder if you could share a little bit about how our state approaches school funding and what modifications are needed to ensure equity and success for all of our students and what might be reasonable this year and what might be longer term. As you know, um, I just started back in the General Assembly about 60 days ago. Um, and But previous to that, I was here um, after a brief uh, two-year period where I wasn't in the General Assembly. And when I was here before, we really did look at uh, funding and potentials for funding reform. As you probably know, there was a PED report that really went through kind of the details of how the system currently works with the allotment system and what some of the challenges are in that allotment system, not just from uh, a transparency issue, but from also a, a just you know mechanical funding issue for LEAs uh, to work through that process. So I was on a joint legislative task force a number of years ago, really looking at a, a variety of different alternatives that other states had been working on and also getting input from stakeholders as to how we might be able to, to change the, the funding mechanism in North Carolina. Um, unfortunately, uh, when I took my two-year break um, uh, that I didn't intend to take, uh, that, that reform kind of um, didn't really move forward. And uh, the, my co-chair on that task force ended up running for something else. And so he's not here right now. Uh, so what I'm doing personally is really just looking at, at, at the information that we had during that joint legislative task force and look at mechanisms and ways, and, and in particular, what other states are doing with regard to reform. I know that North Carolina's average per pupil funding is lower and significantly lower than the national average. and. Leandro and that school funding court case definitely laid out some funding targets that the parties in the case have agreed to and Judge David Lee signed off on. And I just wondered what your thoughts are about those investments that are in that report um, and what you see the General Assembly doing in terms of Leandro this year. You know, one of the things that kind of came out of, of, of not just the PED from the formula, but also a number of statistics that, that tend to get jumbled together. You know, we're, we're, we're top 10 in the nation when it comes to per pupil funding from a state level. Um, and where we start to have issues really is at the local level. And so there are districts like my district in Hanover County and Wake County, Mecklenburg, Guilford, that has a a good supplement, not just for teachers, but the way they supplement uh, their LEAs. And where we're really falling short is in some of these other districts that were identified in Leandro and really were the, were the basis for bringing that suit forward. We have a lot of districts that, that don't have the ability to do that. They not only uh, don't have the assessed value, they just can't raise their tax rate high enough to get to that level. And that's why um, you know when we start working through the funding formula, Currently, we, with our allotment fund, we do have uh, certain allotments for some of those low wealth counties. 
but but it's a difficult process uh, to get through. And I think we need to, to really look at reform in order to look at how we uh, get to equity and also adequacy. And it's tough to get to some of that with our current formula. As we look at average per pupil funding, and I've you know, looked across the country, you know, even some of our highest funded districts in terms of per pupil are still just barely at the, the national average. And so, you know, one of the things I think that's important, especially when we know what a huge percentage of our school funding goes towards uh, funding our teachers, um, that it really does make a difference in terms of how teachers are paid as well. And so I think as we look forward, I'm hoping that we can, you know, also look at that, I think across the board too, because even our better funded districts, I think still struggle in terms of being able to really compete in terms of recruiting and retaining teachers. And I know that you've thought a lot about that. And I wonder if you'd like to talk a little bit more about that as well. You know, one of the issues we have, I mean, even, even some of our high wealth districts is their supplements are so much higher and just competing internally within North Carolina, their supplements are so much higher that you find um, the rural, the more rural communities um, really just having an outflow of teachers going to some of the more metropolitan areas. And that has occurred across the state. It's been an issue for quite some time. And we have built in a variety of different, well, I say we, um, in the time I was here before, we did look at some uh, compensation reforms um, in a lot of different ways to help ameliorate some of that. Although I don't think we as a state are quite there yet. And a lot of those districts are really having a hard time attracting teachers, um, not just not just the interstate issues that you're talking about, but really even within the state. And so that is something that we need to continue to look at. Even though we're raising teacher salaries every single year in the General Assembly um, on a statewide level, those supplements um, tend to adversely affect some of the more rural areas uh, in more of a dramatic way than, than the metro areas. Are there a few funding priorities that you're really hoping the legislature will take on in terms of that? We just passed $1.6 billion in, in COVID relief that was directed toward um, schools. Uh, I think literacy is a significant issue, and that actually was um, in part part of uh, our COVID relief, and then also hopefully uh, we'll have some recurring funding moving forward in that regard. I think literacy is the key issue right now. Lots of key issues. Um, literacy has been an issue, but even now with COVID, I think it is, is, is so much larger of a concern when you have 75% now of our third graders not at reading proficiency. Uh, we already were not doing that well. And, and now that we have COVID, um, that uh, lack of reading proficiency for third graders has increased dramatically. And so hopefully with um, some work that we are, are working on right now uh, from a, a legislative perspective, um, hopefully uh, everyone will see something come out of that in the not too distant future. I know districts are worried about declines in enrollment. I believe across the state, it was around 5% this year and primarily due to COVID and other effects from that. And I just wonder, do you anticipate the legislature considering a, a hold harmless on average daily membership or ADM? Um, or how do you think we might address that? Uh, as you know, the legislature did previously and uh, it is an ongoing discussion right now as well as we kind of are moving into the budget process. We're kind of on the front end of that budget process now that we have our consensus forecast and we're starting to get more financial information in. So that certainly will be one of the high uh, topics of discussion as we move forward. Senator Lee, you and I could talk all day about this, I know, but thank you so much for being here and just for sharing your insights and for your service. So we really appreciate it. 
After the break, this week's final word. This week, we are talking about resources and funding for our schools. And it is important to note that we are not talking about funding for the sake of funding. We are talking about investments in critical elements that research has shown make a significant difference in improving academic outcomes and ensuring a high quality and equitable education for all students. And not only would we like to ensure that happens, it is in fact mandatory. Our state constitution requires that each and every child across North Carolina has access to a sound basic education. This include investments in teachers, school instructional support personnel, principals, early childhood education, and post-secondary attainment. As we take a hard look at our educational investments across our school districts, it is also important to acknowledge where North Carolina falls nationally in terms of investing in our schools. North Carolina's estimated average per pupil spending for 2019-20 was almost $3,000 less than what the projected national average was for that year. Investments in education must always be strategic and well-placed, but we must have at least a baseline level of support necessary to ensure students have access to a sound basic education before we can make investments that are more strategic. And just what is a sound basic education? Over the past 25 plus years, rulings in North Carolina's school funding court case known as Leandro have defined just what a sound basic education looks like. It includes baseline abilities around reading, math, and physical science, as well as being able to make informed choices in their communities. They must also be well-equipped to be able to compete in both college and career and become gainfully employed citizens. While many of our students graduate from high school having experienced a sound basic education and having gained the excellent outcomes associated with that experience, not all of our students do. In particular, those who are at risk, including students of color, English language learners, and economically disadvantaged students. And a lot of that has to do with the inequitable distribution of resources across our great state. Fortunately, we have the tools and the resources necessary to fix this problem that has gone on for far too long. In addition to taking action on things we've already discussed on our show, including ensuring a qualified and well-prepared teacher and principal in every classroom, we can also provide the state school funding formula so that current and additional funding is distributed to students with the greatest need. There are a number of great ways to do this with funding mechanisms already in place that with some modifications can ensure our resources are distributed in ways that ensure equity and success for all students. Another critical change we can make is to increase budget flexibility for our local school districts so that local leaders are able to use funds in ways that best meet the needs of their students. This kind of flexibility would ensure that academically gifted students, students with disabilities, students living in economically disadvantaged counties and other at-risk students will have the resources they need to succeed. Finally, we can increase flexible funding for student instructional support personnel to meet the academic, physical and mental health needs of students and to ensure that schools are safe and supportive learning environments. These investments are critical in the short term due to the impact of COVID-19 and will also begin to address the well-documented resource inequities that disproportionately disadvantage students of color, English language learners, and low-income students in North Carolina. We know that teachers are the number one school-related factor that affects student outcomes, and principals are second. We know that addressing social and emotional learning and trauma-informed practices effectively leads to significant academic gains. 
We know that early childhood and pre-K education improve student outcomes in elementary school and for the rest of their education. We know that post-secondary attainment is important to be successful in a career and that it also helps our state's economy. All of these critical factors require resources and funding. That is why adequate and equitable funding are critical for all of North Carolina students. Thank you for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today and we'll see you next week.